Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Greetings, friends. Oh, hi. How goes it? It goes so well. Emily and I are both enjoying a winter storm right now. Very cold enjoying? temperatures. Not jealous. Enjoying? Well, listen, I got my grocery shopping done yesterday. I did all my errands yesterday. I'm just holed up in the house watching all the snowfall. And uh, I'm like cozied up with pots of tea and cookies and all the good stuff. So, and we're recording today. So I've been looking forward to this all day. So what are you guys drinking for this uh, lovely winter storm you're having? Yeah, I threw it. uh, I'm going, I went with a summery drink, if you would believe it or not. I'm, I was just really feeling it. This is a take on a Tom Collins, except it's made with tequila. So people call it a tequila Mm. Collins. Uh, A couple shots of tequila, uh, half an ounce of lemon juice, half an ounce of simple syrup and club soda, though I didn't have club soda. So I made it with a key lime LaCroix. And put it in a frosty glass. Ooh. Just a delicious cocktail right now. I'm enjoying it. It's like this really nice, like rosy pink color because, full disclosure, I didn't actually have simple syrup on hand. So I, I threw grenadine in there instead. So it has a little like lemon cherry thing going on. Ooh. Pretty nice. I'm really enjoying Very it. Very nice. Well, while Steven's being all cozy and merry watching Snowfall, I'm escaping what feels like hurricane winds and. N- Left a house with a screaming 18-month-old, and so I went to my favorite coffee shop kiosk and got a nice big cup of my favorite beverage, a London Fog. Uh, Very nice with lavender and vanilla. No honey today, but I added the lavender, and it is spot on. That sounds really nice. It is very nice. London Fogs always hit so good. Yeah, they do. And it's funny when I tell parishioners, oh, yeah, I like it hot or iced. And they're like, what do you mean iced? I'm like, well, oh, yeah. it kind of tastes like Fruit Loops. And yeah. then they look at me like I'm crazy, but it's true. Emily, what kind of Earl Grey tea do you drink? <gasps> Take a guess. British. Yeah, that British company, Tef. Te- it oh, is my- Tetley. Te- te- Tetley? I almost said yes. Teflon, and I knew it that is- was wrong. It is yeah. Tetley. Teflon Earl Grey. Love that stuff. Mm, yeah. Have you ever tried Smith Tea's Lord Bergamot blend? I have. I really do like that blend. I really it's do a nice like one. it. Mm-hmm. It's a nice one. It's a good Earl Grey. I am drinking a tea today as well. I forgot that I had this one. It's from Montana Tea and Spice Trading in Missoula. And it is this one called Montana Gold, which I think is a great Ooh, name. That's my favorite. Oh, you know it. Uh, to be honest, it's not my favorite Ruibos tea that I've ever tried, but it is good. It's definitely heavy on the cinnamon, but it's it's definitely a good like warmer upper for sure. If someone is really into coffee and tree combinations, uh, at one coffee shop, I invented a drink and got it very well known by the baristas. Uh, if you do a Rubos tea iced with some espresso 
and then sweeten it with the sweetener of your choice. Maybe a dash of cream or milk alternative of your choice. And it's iced. It's delicious. The most delicious summer drink I've ever had. So Fantastic. good. Then I'm also drinking, and I forgot I had this as well. It was in the back of my little drink cabinet. Uh, this is from Nectar Creek Meadery. This is Top Bar Coffee Mead. Mm. Ooh. And it's delicious. It's very good. You're going full send. I love it. Uh, just like Steven, I feel like we've mentioned this on the pod before, but my list of like topics and questions has just been like overgrowing. Sometimes I'll go like a couple weeks without writing something down, and then all of a sudden I will just find theological discussion inspiration just like in every corner. So I feel like my list is overgrowing, and maybe I need to consolidate it a bit. But just like doing a quick breeze through here, one of the questions that I've written down recently, which I think is the most interesting thing I've been thinking about. So I'm bringing it. Right. I want to talk about, does general theological advice do harm? Oh. Okay. Okay. Can you define your terms? Sure. I'm thinking of, I think another great example of this is general therapeutic advice. Like I Mm. see this a lot on... TikTok and Twitter, to be honest, where people give very pointed, prescriptive advice that clearly they picked up from someone, whether it was their therapist or a book giving general advice. Um, But at some point, that advice was directed at a specific individual, probably, because actually it's not the first practice for a therapist to give prescriptive advice. That's actually pretty down the line, so to speak. And I, as someone who has a psych background, I see a lot of potential harm done by people giving general prescriptive therapeutic advice that might not necessarily be true or best practice for everybody. Mm. And I think that that is the closest. I think that's what leads me to have this question about general theological advice that is giving general prescriptive theological advice to people, um, whether Christian or not. And I'm curious what you guys think about the potential harm or real harm that it causes. Can you give an example for us to maybe just set the tone? Because we might have a different understanding. So if you were to give us an example, we would know what framework to work with. Well, that's part of the problem here is like, I think that it happens in like very general ways. I think that there are some like specific cases where it's really obvious. Like for instance, and we don't have to like make this a whole conversation, but for instance, like gender roles or like Christian views Mm -hmm. of gender and sex, like things that are trying to be very explicitly prescriptive to a general broad population versus like hyper-specific on like you giving pastoral advice to a couple and saying like, well, maybe you should try doing this because of like this context that I know. I'm I'm thinking like broad advice. I think that this advice tends to come across from the stage or uh, from platforms or in books in a way that's I think it makes it sound now I feel like I'm just monologuing, but I think that like <laughs> I think that general prescriptive advice makes that advice sound very objectively true mm. in a way that's not like hyper specific for a single person. Okay. So that's kind of where my mind's at. As you've been describing this, my mind went to diet culture and advice. Ooh, I think that's also a great example. Yeah. Yeah. I and I especially think of the nonsense that was popularized by certain podcasters and more like, I mean, you know, it was like a Joe Rogan thing and then a uh, Jordan Peterson thing where it was like, I only eat ribeye steaks for three meals a day. Yeah. <laughs> <Only>. yeah. <laughs> and like there, there were like these proponents of this carnivore diet claiming so much 
like scientific backing for like this is how we should be eating never mind a pretty robust consensus about like a plant-based diet being more healthy and rounded but even then i guess that's general advice and maybe what they were trying to like kick against was like yeah this is like a mainstream thing and i'm doing something alternative but it also Mm -hmm. came across Mm -hmm. as general advice of like everyone should eat the carnivore diet and I think of a lot of advice that comes through like intermittent fasting that has largely been debunked now. Mm. See, and my brain went to parenting. Yeah. Parenting advice. You know, there are kind of universal understandings as far as things that doctors recommend, but you should always like talk to your own pediatrician or your own child's doctor for any specific advice. But people are really good at giving you parenting advice when either A, they are not a parent or B, (laughs) they were a parent decades ago and things have changed. But (laughs) heaven forbid, they're still an expert because they too are a parent, right? It's like people giving me advice and their kids are probably close to my parents age type situation. Yeah, things have changed in 50 decades. Just kidding. It was five decades. Um, But still... That, yeah, I think there's a potential for harm, not always, but there definitely is room for harm and for damage to be done. Absolutely. So, yeah, with those in mind, like those other examples, how do you think that applies to theological advice? (sighs) I don't know why it feels different when it Mm. enters the realm of the theological what what feels different to you, do you think? I just, I think that it would be easy to slip into a mindset of like, when you're talking theology, you are kind of talking in universals. Mm. So it's almost okay. You know what I mean? Oh, you think like that's the like general perception usually? Yeah. Like I'd be hard pressed to find a theology that is supposed to be very specific like the parenting advice, especially like asking your pediatrician for advice on this one child, right? Like they have the medical records. They have been involved in this kid's life probably since they were born. So like they have experience and they have somewhere to go back on. Whereas I think a lot of theology is supposed to, or at least framed in a way that it is supposed to be applied universally. Like it's, I don't, I don't feel like it's designed to be all that specific. Mm, I see it as a delicate balance of universal as well as specific. I think there is a fine line between universal as in it's generic and can apply regardless of whatever situation may be versus universal where the context does matter but it still fits within that context and it's not going to really shift too much because if we were to see theology as just this giant blanket, then we're almost saying it's like a cookie cutter. And I don't see it that way because people have such unique experiences Mm. with previous trauma when it comes to the church or religious experiences or miracles or moments where they felt the divine at work the most or didn't feel the divine at work. And so when we have theological understandings that we just kind of throw at people, it's like, well, now wait a second. Like I, I don't experience that or I don't understand what you mean by that. 
it's a really gray area when it comes to being universal, but also not. It's a weird, it's not like an either or, I feel like it's a really mushy thing. Do you guys have any examples that you're thinking of off the top of your head in terms of like universal versus contextual advice in the theological? That's kind of what I hear you guys distinguishing between. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, my gut reaction is just there's there's a lot of language used, and maybe we can just say that's because it was attributed to Paul the Apostle, but like all have sinned and fallen short. That's kind of like an idea that is not supposed to be individualistic, you know, or specific. Oh, like, sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say it's hand wavy, but there's there's a lot of use of all. Yeah. In, it's a framework. Yeah, it's a framework that is, in my mind, like, it strikes me as it was intended to always be universal rather than specific. Right, like, as in, it's inherently a part of the Christian cosmology in some ways. Like, even if you differ in the interpretation. Right. I like that example, and I think that when I'm thinking of advice that people are giving, I'm thinking of things that I think people think are universal or sound universal, but in a way that's like, they're like trying to make it sound like that, as in like, this is built in, this is a part of the framework, but it's in a very advice-given way. Like, off the top of my head, I think really easy examples are like, you should go to church, or you should read your Bible every day, or I think it's usually given in terms of like prescription, Mm -hmm. versus like, I think what you're getting at, Stephen, is like the descriptive part of theology. Yeah. Mm. I would say one example then which sadly I hear too often is tithing. Like you should tithe. Oh, hundred percent. Yep. You you should give to your church. You should give to this organization. Yeah. Do you think it's even possible to give? Cause Emily, you were talking about like, there is a bit of a balance in like both the universal and contextual. So do you think it is possible to give prescriptive advice to someone that's theological carefully? Yeah. Okay. So what would be like, what would be a universal example like a universal prescription, would you say? So instead of saying you should tithe, it could be you can tithe. Mm. You change the framework and the mindset of what you are trying to prescribe. So it's not so much an in, like a... Oh, more like a freedom than it is a it's, prescription. It's more of a freedom rather than this. Yeah, like you're not being forced. It's more open. It's more choice oriented but the important thing is you're not attaching any sense of shame or guilt on the tail end of it because it's too often you can say you can tithe but i know right like you'll you'll, you can throw something on the end to kind of spin it where you are still trying to force that choice on someone but you're not supposed to so you leave it as open-ended you can tithe absolutely like and that's it Leave it up to that person then. Like, I cannot force or motivate in any way, whether it's using positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement, to have someone make a certain choice. And as much as prescribing general theological or spiritual advice may be a good idea, it's not always Mm. done so in a way that is good. So we just need to be mindful. Like, how you say things matter. Like what you say matters. Is there any world in which you think that general theological advice can be good? Like, I like your point, Emily, about like, you can make it more about freedom and not necessarily telling someone what to do, uh, whether you're like being very general to a group of people or specifically. 
and I in my mind that seems healthier, but like do we think that there's any possible way for people to give general theological advice and it be good and life-giving and not harming or the potential of harm? Cuz like for me, I think that I have gotten general theological advice before and it it feels wrong, <laughs> I guess. Like it feels like that diet mm. culture where you're like, "Well, I don't think that's true necessarily." Like that might be true for someone that they should do that thing. And that is actually a really good thing for them to do for them. But like, that's not universally true, but like the way that it's way it's framed. Yeah. Yeah. The way it's framed theologically makes it sound very objective. Well, I think it has to do with intention. So, you know, when someone gives advice about, I like the diet example. I think that's great. If you're giving advice regarding diet or changing of eating habits, to push someone to lose weight versus to introduce healthy habits, that intention matters and how someone's going to take it matters because you're either framing it in a way where you're saying you're fat, you're ugly, you need to lose weight in order to be healthy versus, hey, you're healthy. Here are things that can maybe improve that more, not because you're fat, not because you're ugly, but for other reasons. If it the, the framework and how we establish our intention matters. And so I think theologically, this is so huge. Are you doing it because you're afraid someone's going to hell? Or are you doing it out of experience and you don't want someone to experience that same harm, that same shame, that same guilt? Or are you doing it for their own spiritual well-being and wanting them just to dive deeper into their faith and to discern and have a better, deeper understanding for themselves in their own spiritual context? Like, the intention behind what we're trying to prescribe matters. Mm. For some reason, the way that you put that reminded me of Welch's grape juice and like the <laughs> the Methodist brothers. Yeah. And like the transition of like using non-alcoholic juice for communion in a way that would like meet the needs of the community more broadly, as in like, we're not going to pressure you to drink alcohol um, because there's like, we have alcohol problems here. Like that's yeah. not that. So like giving like a general theological advice to include and make more accessible, but in a way that doesn't cause distress. <laughs> right. Because how crazy would it be to have an open table theology to say, all are welcome to the table. Oh, but you have an addiction and you suffer from alcoholism. Now we're going to force you in order to take the elements of Eucharist to now have this cup of wine. No way. Like, absolutely not. You know, it's funny. I've had people in my church ask me, you know, for special services, can we have alcohol? And we have to get it cleared by our, by our DS. And there's just things you have to kind of justify as to why do you want alcohol? But we need to still offer non-alcoholic choices for people, especially if we were to do Eucharist or something. If people really wanted wine for their Eucharist, we can, you know, try to find a way to make it work. But what about those people who shouldn't or can't have alcohol children for goodness sakes like it it's a weird thing and so i think that's a great example josh definitely but i think at the same time something like that feels more like it's really easy to see the practicality of that or like the, like the advice that children shouldn't drink like that one's pretty easy to come to without like theology like even like the alcoholism piece i feel like is like of course there's theology wrapped up in there but like i feel like it it also feels different because it's not like strictly theological and like applying theology, I guess. Mm -hmm. What about you, Stephen? Do you think that there's any good that is done by general theological 
prescription. That's tough. I, I don't know why my mind keeps going to examples that aren't like strictly theological. Mm. Like diet was the first one. The other one that's been spinning around in my head now while you guys have been talking is like the financial advice of Dave Ramsey. Ooh. <laughs> of like, he has a way of basically theologizing almost everything he does, which I'm not here to make a, a value judgment on that. But, you know, so like even a, a pretty common financial advice refrain is avoid operating on too much debt, like leveraging too much debt in your life. He has a way of spinning that with a verse in Proverbs that says the borrower is slave to the lender. And that is like his write off way of like, well, the word of God said it. So I don't do it. But I think in general, I find the advice to be useful and life giving for me besides my mortgage, which some people would hear and be like, well, that's still debt. You're still doing it. But like besides my mortgage, I don't operate on debt at all. I have never used a credit card personally. Oh, really? Like I've only, wow. I've only ever operated on debit card. Like the cash I have is the cash I have. Right. So like I've taken that advice and I have found a mode of operating in life that is life giving and that gives me a lot of peace. But I think his advice does inadvertent harm because it is also tied to kind of a like an American philosophy of like bootstrapism and of like, oh, you don't yeah. have enough money to not to have the privilege of not operating only on the cash you earn. Then like just go get four other jobs and burn yourself out as quickly as possible because this is the ideal. You have to do it this way, you know. So I think in some ways such a general blanket statement of don't operate on debt has done harm, especially given the assumptions it makes about the kinds of people who are trying to achieve it. I know a very common criticism lobbed at him is like, well, it's easy for you to say you're worth like hundreds of millions of dollars. And it's like, mm. yeah, but he wasn't at one time, you know, like I, I'm not here to defend Dave Ramsey, but I, I, it's like, there's so many things swirling around that. So in a way, I do find some of the simplicity of his general advice. I do see how it can cause harm, but I also see that it's not necessarily a bad principle to live by. I actually really love that example. I feel like that yeah. is like a perfect example because I could see someone also having that advice, but not with a the theological backing and someone choosing to like follow that advice because they think that that's the right fit for them because they recognize it as advice. Versus, I think with someone like Dave Ramsey, it feels like a moral prescription because he's trying to put this theological backing behind it. Yeah, well, especially because his hermeneutic is coming from more of a like an inerrant reading of the Bible and in kind of an evangelical American worldview. So, like, there's a lot of backing that he thinks he has because he's quoting the inerrant scriptures at the same time telling you don't give your personal information to Capital One. You know, it's like, yeesh. Mm -hmm. Like, it does get really twisted around in some of those arenas. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, 
reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Alternatively, I do think that some good can be done by general theological prescription. I think that it often happens from pulpits and from books. I think that, yeah. like, for instance, a great example is the seven fruits of the spirit. Those are incredible, amazing virtues. And if we all lived by them and pursued them and like thought of them as a gift to give other humans, I think we'd all be better off. So I think when a pastor gives a sermon on gentleness and faithfulness and gives like a broad understanding of a theological abstract object in terms of like humanity's relationship to God, I think that it makes it really easy for people to then apply that abstraction to their own personal context. And so I think that like there is plenty of good theological prescription out there, but I think like Dave Ramsey is a perfect example of like a really potentially dangerous theological advice. Like that, that, that like, for instance, it's worked really well for you. Like you've adopted some of his principles, right? Mm-hmm. But like you don't buy into his theological backing anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think other people out there are like choosing to continue to follow his advice because they think it has the theological backing that means that they should do it. Yeah. I, ah, man, I, it's just clicking with me kind of what Emily said earlier of that's the difference between like you should live this way or you could live this way. Mm-hmm. It's all about choice. And yeah, I think even, I mean, if you, even if you want to bring it back to a theological point of like, there's freedom in Christ, as some people say, like there, there is the freedom to choose and to operate as long as there is kind of this love of neighbor, love of God, love of self. Like if, if that's the water you're swimming in, it doesn't really matter what direction you swim. You can live in that freedom, you know? Amen. Emily, as someone who is currently uh, in the pastorate, what would your general theological advice be to people who may or may not be giving general theological advice? (laughs) (laughs) That's really good. Ask the question again. Ask the question again. With all of this in mind about the potential harm that theological advice has done and can do, especially when something is, when you're justifying your advice theologically as Mm -hmm. like that is the thing to believe. And not Mm -hmm. just like a tenet of Christianity, but you're trying to give advice for someone in their everyday life application, which Mm -hmm. actually I think is a very common framework in a lot of American Christianity, like the classic SOAP method, like how do we apply this? But then also having in mind the potential good that general theological advice can do, how would you give advice to someone who may potentially be giving general theological advice? Don't anticipate, participate. That's what I tell my campers. Um, wow, that was really simplified. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> like, okay, expand on that. Don't anticipate or assume that 
the situation in which you are giving advice for is exactly the same as yours. Rather, mm. listen to the individual and see if that advice is actually going to be beneficial. You need to participate and engage in conversation, in listening, not hearing, but listening to the individual and kind of sitting back on your seat a bit because you might find that you say the wrong thing. Like this happens a lot in pastoral care and counseling. You see this a lot with chaplains who are maybe from a very specific denomination who then try to apply pastoral care and counseling to a, um, let's say a patient or a staff member at a hospital or at a police station or somewhere where it is framed from their specific denomination or theological background but it's very harmful for that individual if they are not of that faith or of that background if you are framing any sort of care or counseling advice you know they're in a better place now no don't say that <laughs> like because you don't know what that other person believes like you're there to console and to to be a presence for someone not to give them this you know, salvation and grace speech. They don't want that right now. <laughs> like mm. read the room, listen, see and observe what's happening with that individual before you just give them this generic cookie cutter phrase that is potentially harmful. I 100% agree. Uh, especially coming from like a therapeutic angle. I think that like, like everything you were saying, like to me matches up with like how therapy is supposed to work as mm-hmm. well. Like you are, like if advice and prescription happens from the therapist at all, I mean, granted, it depends a little bit on the type of therapy. Like there's a couple different modalities out there. Sure. But in general, like the majority of what you're doing should be listening, if not just conversation mm-hmm. about circumstances. And like it, it reminds me too that like someone who is actively in crisis and trauma needs something very, very different from someone who is beyond that circumstance. Absolutely. And I think that absolutely applies to faith as well. Mm. Don't anticipate, participate. <laughs> I love how quickly that came out. Yeah, that was very quick. <laughs> that was really solid. <laughs> Thank you. That was really solid. Stephen, would you add anything to what Emily was saying about advice to people potentially giving theological advice? Uh, man, beyond just using a trite phrase of let us just be humble about it. Like, I think a lot of the pushiest advice comes from a place of like, I've solved it. This is the one thing that you can do to like improve your business, lose 50 pounds and like find the hottest partner you can. You know, like a lot of it, like, (laughs) you know, like even those clickbait headlines or, you know, the tips and tricks to make it in business or whatever is like, I, I find it so hard to believe that so many issues can be solved by a single person speaking at you rather than speaking with you. So like Amen. a, a model of and apologies, Emily, because I know this isn't like all of your job, but like in my experience at the mega church, it was that guy's role is to stand on stage and be the only person in the room facing that way and everyone else mm. is facing him and looking at him and it's like the Christian TED talk of like here's what I have yeah. to offer take this go and do likewise and everyone's like yes sir okay rather than like the position of a coach like alongside mm. you know like even growing up in high school like watching some of my friends play football and track and stuff like that like some of the coaches you know 
like the cross country coach runs with the students. They don't just stand there watching them run like they participate, just like Emily was saying. I just we need more coach mentality rather than speaker mentality. Absolutely. The world would be a much different place if people actually participated in the lives of those that they are either trying Mm -hmm. to reach out to or say they care about. Yeah. And I think, again, the mindset ought to come from humility rather than the prideful angle of like, I've got it figured out. Just do what I do and you're going to be good. Like, Mm. I even think Jesus demonstrated that, right? Like he was willing to meet doubting Thomas where he was at, or even like he was willing to challenge Peter to walk on the water and he did for a time and then he doubted and began sinking. And Jesus wasn't like, the fuck is your problem? And just let him sink. Like he caught him (laughs) and and, and talked to him. Like he wasn't just like, oh, well, like he didn't take my advice, but there's going to be another 99 sheep for me to like (laughs) preach at. This was, this was a moment of Jesus being like, no, no, I'm here with you. It's okay. I think my advice would be to a not take weird things out of context and then apply a weird application out of them. Like saying things like, uh, I can't even like think in this mode, but do you know what I'm talking about? Where like a pastor will like be talking about something and like pull out some really weird verse and then turn it into this like giant application of like, this is why you should <laughs> never, I don't know. I don't even know. I can't even think like that. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like maybe like the Peter example would be good. Like this is why you should never go out on a boat and sleep. Jesus doesn't want you to sleep on his watch. Like what are you talking about? That that has nothing to do with this. <laughs> so that I think I would say no more of that, please. And then <laughs> B, I think that I Stephen's point about the diet culture I think is really really good because what it got me thinking about was like advice for results versus advice for trajectory like Ooh. like like Micah 6 8 saying like pursue justice and mercy like that mm. is very different than like well every time somebody wrongs you you should do this and you will get this result yes like it's I think it's a completely different mindset I also think that like having a more of like a uh, for lack of a better phrase you're having like a pursuit view of advice I think really helps degrade shame like yeah Man, I'm trying to think of a good example of this. Like, for instance, um, not looking at pornography. Like, if your advice to someone is just going to be like, well, don't look at porn and your marriage will be good and healthy. Then, like, every time you do that, you're just going to think you're the biggest fuck up because you're ruining your marriage. And maybe you are. Like, maybe that person is. But, like, that very negatively reinforcing approach does not motivate change psychologically. Mm -hmm. So, if you were then to say, like, well pursue faithfulness then you then the the reader you get to interpret well what does that mean for me like what does that mean in context of a marriage or in context of the internet or in context of blank and the end result that someone's trying to get at might actually be the same but to your point emily about like contextualization i think that it makes such a difference to point people towards trajectory which i actually think that christianity is begging us to do yeah versus like do a then b and you will get c and it just doesn't work like that. Get saved, live well, and you will go to heaven. <laughs> ABC, so simple. People like us do things like this and get results hey, like this. Thank you, well, Seth Godin. So, but that also that is a great that is a great example because it makes me think about how 
there's always going to be someone smarter than you in the room. Like, yes. and you're always going to be smarter than someone else. And I think this applies to any type of advice, especially when it comes to theological advice. <laughs> like if, if someone was to try to tell like Dixie or Steven, you know, all these things when it comes to infertility and miscarriages, it would be like, whoa, whoa. Hey, now wait a second. Like hold your horses versus someone who went through it with them. Right. And they're not trying to necessarily give advice, but they're trying to give support and they're trying to be understanding. But there's always going to be someone who is smarter than you in the room. So that is where the participation part of sitting back and listening and observing really matters. Because if you're trying to give advice to someone and that's like that's like telling someone who has been in the faith. Like, let's say, for example, Josh was to go in. And he attended one Orthodox service. And so he's now trying to tell people how to participate in those services. And it's like, Josh, <laughs> wait a second. Like, you, you're not of that faith. You can't, you can't try to tell people of that faith how to participate in their faith, right? Not saying you would ever do that. That was the first thing that came to mind. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. It's, oh, man. Because that, what is it that John Wayne always says? Life's tough. It's tougher when you're stupid. That's funny. Don't, so don't make it tougher by being stupid. Like be smart, be critical thinkers, be conscious thinkers, be mindful and street smart and know who you're talking to. Know the context of the person and the situation because you're going to look like an ass if you try giving advice that is harmful, not helpful and ill intended. Like, ugh, yeah. We have a lot of generalist conversations on our podcast. Do you think we've done harm? I hope we haven't. But maybe to someone we have. Who knows? I think that is a hard question to answer because I think that if you I think that if you give general advice in a way that is actually advice and not like with theological trumping, I think that it's not as harmful in general. Not that advice like is removed from harm completely because mm. like not every advice followed is going to give you good results. But like, I would hope we have not done as much theological harm as some of the theological harm that we're trying to heal from and invite others into. Yeah. Cause I mean like there's the version of it where Josh, I saw you just this week on Twitter going at it with someone who was like, actually theology as a discussion is sinful because we have what we need in the word of God and all theology is discovering it, not dialogue, right? Like not uh, like their, their charge to us was that theology as a discussion based exploration inevitably leads to creating God in our image and not us enjoying being created in God's image. Am I summarizing that well? Cause I, I'm pretty sure I saw that on Twitter this week. Yeah. It was, it was basically about that. Yeah. And like, mm -hmm. Sure. First blush, maybe we caused that guy harm because we caused him a lot of stress and we know he was like fired up on on his phone waiting for the reply so that he could get back at us. Like we've all been there in the heat of a Twitter fight, right? Not me. I don't know if yeah. Yeah, yeah. Emily has been blessed to have not. Well, that that's <laughs> that's an argument for Twitter abstinence. <laughs> <laughs> She's avoided it. Uh, maybe appropriately. Yeah, maybe the advice, the general advice should be stay off Twitter, but also my specific experience to a delightful place. So, um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you guys. Like I, 
would like to think that we haven't caused any harm at all. But at the same time, there is a bit of uh, definitional work to do around harm because maybe we have participated in uh, in someone's like deconstruction journey, right? Like maybe someone has deconverted as a consequence of like hearing an episode or two of ours. And like some would interpret ah. that as harm, right? Yeah. Like blatant, like we've, we're, we are false prophets who have led people away from the faith in the last days, you know, like, but the person who deconverted probably does not see that as harm. Yeah. Context. I think that the harm, I think you're right that like harm is very subjective. And to Emily's point, it does go back to intent, but also impact as well. Mm-hmm. I was thinking uh, earlier this week, actually, to your point about the the guy on Twitter that we were uh, dialoguing with, despite his insistence that, <laughs> that dialogue was harmful. theology is not a dialogue right. and that that is harmful. To that point, every time I interact with someone that it's very clear that they are not having the same framework of theology and thinking about faith that I do, I feel very conscious of like, there's only so much I can talk to you about. Like, I'm not even going to try to convince you of my point of view, I feel like the best thing for me to do is to point out that like not everybody who calls himself Christian holds that stance like mm. and just leave it at that because like if someone's not even willing to like have a discussion about it, they're not going to like be willing to hear anything you say. And so I feel very conscious of like I think that those situations can cause harm if you like really try to push up against that kind of stuff. Yeah. If right. That makes sense. Right. Like if someone isn't like he who has ears to hear, let him hear kind of thing. Like if you're trying to talk to someone about a general or specific theological advice that you believe is true, but they're not willing to hear it, then it's, I think not only is it sometimes wasted, but I think it can make people feel further defensive into their position. Mm, Yeah. And I think that can cause harm. So yeah, maybe we have, I don't know. I hope we haven't, (laughs) but if we have, I hope we've done more good than harm. Hmm. Thanks for thinking about this with me, you guys. I think this one is really interesting. And to be honest, some of my other topics that I'm like thinking about in the back of my mind kind of tie in here, but I, I really like where this conversation went. I thought it was really interesting. So thank you. Well, thank you for bringing it up. Emily, would you give us a word of advice on the way? Also, didn't we do an episode on advice before? Because I feel like I've said that before. We had to have. It's, yeah, ringing a bell. Well, if you have advice for us, please leave us a review. Tell us what you think. Or if you would really like to uh, get a chance to have your voice featured, feel free to leave us an audio review or a question at 601-55-RAVEL. That's 601-557-2835. Feel free to submit a question for us to start an episode with or tell us where we got something wrong or something that you disagree with. Um, We're planning some fun things to do on some future episodes. And we'd love to hear from you. So give us a review. Give us a call. Update. It was episode 76 entitled Pushy Christian Prescriptions. (gasps) (laughs) Oh my gosh. We totally have done this episode before. (laughs) The show notes verbatim say Josh once again had too many topics on his mind. But instead of rolling a dice, we let the (laughs) Patreon community decide. So we're talking about Pushy Christians. We attempt to nuance the role of advice, opinion, and calling others out like Jesus did. Oh, well, we took it in a slightly different direction. Look at us go, we you did. guys. I forgot about that episode. Well, go give that episode a listen Yo. if you want to hear us talk more about we'll link prescription. Because that was a really interesting one. I liked that yeah. one. Uh, this one was more about like harm and good, I feel like. Not than... at all a surprise that it was a Josh episode either. 
Thank you. Oh yeah, I'm honored. That's going on the bingo card. Oh yeah. Speaking of speaking of that, we also have an episode called Ecumenical Harm Reduction. <laughs> that was a fun Solid. one. I loved that one. Solid. Anyway, all that being said, Emily, do you have a general word of advice for us that would not cause harm? Don't anticipate. Participate. <laughs> Damn it. Mic drop. <laughs> a smoking hot wife like me here are my five top tips from the bible to get a smoking hot wife kids turn in your chapters to galatians chapter two where i'm going to teach you everything i know about how to land that oh i have to beep that you know i have to beep that right i know you will beep that <laughs>